The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. And today we're going to hit on a few things. I mean, as usual, I say this so many times, but I feel like it bears repeating. The worst enemy of guns, there are two two main enemies of, of guns throughout the world. That is rust and politicians. And unfortunately, politicians again are getting all wound up. Activists are getting wound up. They're trying to come after people who support the Second Amendment, people who uh, want to keep their right to bear arms. And it's just, it's so annoying that we have to deal with this all the time. Because, I mean, guns are not the problem in most cases. Most cases, it's the person behind it. And I find it so irritating that a policeman was to shoot somebody and they find it was, you know, some wrongdoing or something like that, or they think there might be an issue, they blame the policeman. Oh, the police are bad. They don't know what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. But if anybody else shoots anybody, it's the gun's fault. The the crazy, nut job, moronic, stupid person that did this thing, it's not his fault. It's the gun's fault. And the fact that people can change their accusations and their their beliefs so quickly is just annoying to me to no end. You know what? It is a right. It is given to us in the Constitution. And it should be a God-given right for a person to defend themselves against evil. In fact, it was once said, the only thing required for evil to thrive is for good men to do nothing. So if you stand by and watch things happen... It's, you know, that's how evil can thrive. Now, again, I'm not telling you to go out and get involved in somebody else's business and something like that, because unfortunately with the laws we have today, no good deed will go unpunished. If you stop somebody from beating their wife in their own front yard, she could jump up, point a finger at you and said, you got in the middle of their business and it's your fault. And that is a story I covered years ago about that. The couple was fighting. He was smacking her around in the front yard. A neighbor went to assist her. Then when the cops came, she was on the side of her husband saying that guy inter- that guy had interfered with them. So, you know, be very careful when you get involved and try and stop evil. That's not happening to you. That's always an issue. It's a problem. And it's hard for good people to want to stand by and let bad things happen to other people. But just be very careful and assess the situation carefully before you jump into something like that. Now, if it's a random stranger that you don't know and you don't know who she's fighting with, you need to find out what's going on. Unless she's in, unless somebody is in lethal, you know, lethal danger, mortal danger, you probably should not interfere other than call law enforcement, let them deal with it. That's what they're supposed to do. And most law enforcement officers, I know that's probably the worst call they ever have to answer is domestic violence because they never know what's on the other side of that door when they're knocking. They don't know what point it's escalated to. They don't know what point anybody on on the other side of the door, they don't know what their state of mind is. So that's something they have to deal with, and that's something you have to deal with too. I mean, if you see things in the neighborhood, you know, you have to decide at what point do I get involved? I mean, if they're not on your property and you see something happening – do you want to step in? I think it would really depend on how well you know that person or those people involved. Do you think you could de-escalate it, or do you think you would just get in the way and maybe cause things to go beyond what you're capable of or want to deal with? 
So be aware of that. I mean, I, and I'm not just saying with guns. I mean, it's, you know, the gun is a way to stop a fight by its threat or the use thereof. And hopefully nobody listening will ever have to pull their gun in a defensive situation and point it at somebody with the intent of causing mortal harm to defend themselves or their family or their property. Hopefully none of you will ever have to do that. But if you do, you need to be prepared for that. And my first story today, we're going to go over to China. And not for economic reasons, as you may believe, because, you know, hey, China's got a booming economy right now. But they rely heavily on America. Anyway, that's that's the story of e- economics, and we're going to do that today. But now China has an interesting way that they disseminate information because they have – they take political prisoners still. They keep people confined if they don't uh, go along with China's propaganda. But apparently, 7.40 a.m., in a city of less than 2 million people, 300 miles west of Shenzhen, a 25-year-old local man was arrested for stabbing, s- killed six people in her kindergarten by stabbing them. And it's like... And they have no motive, or at least the government's not giving us any motive. Now, knife attacks apparently are not uncommon in China because there's no way to get a gun there. You know, unless you're in the military or have status that would allow you to circumvent the regular people rules, knives are very common for killing weapon there. So, but apparently 16 people were injured in this attack and six of them were killed i mean it's just uh, it's insane and it was all with a knife no gun no ar-15s no assault rifles no handguns of any type this was with a knife so now uh, your heart's got to go out to the family here but here it is a mass killing committed with a knife no gun no rifle nothing like that so it, it just goes to show if the motive is there and the people who are behind the weapons are dedicated to their cause or their motive or their anger, their revenge, whatever it may be, it can be done without the use of a gun. Now, what would have helped had there been a guard at this school who had a gun, they might have stopped. They might have saved people's lives by going in there and stopping him before he killed everybody he wanted to kill. But unfortunately, in China, you have no way to defend yourself. In this country, you do have a way to defend yourself. And granted, not every circumstance calls for the use of a gun. But if it comes to that, if there's, if you're threatened with mortal harm or imminent danger, you have that right in this country to defend yourself with a firearm. It is guaranteed in the Constitution. It says it clearly, succinctly, it's the shortest of the Ten Amendments that make up the Bill of Rights. And it's funny because most of the Bill of Rights do not grant you rights. And most people m- misunderstand this. Well, I have the right to this. I have the right to that. It says so in the Bill of Rights. No, the most of the Bill of Rights say the government cannot make laws to infringe on your right to free speech, to have soldiered ha- soldiers housed in your dwelling, to have your guns, ha- to have the right to have a gun infringed upon. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And infringement, if you think of that, any any little thing can be an infringement. Any 
thing that hampers your ability to defend yourself or or have a firearm to defend yourself would be infringing on those rights. And unfortunately, the federal government, the state governments, local governments are all passing laws violating the Constitution every day. And of course, all those politicians swear on a Bible to defend the Constitution and what it stands for every time they're sworn in. But yet they turn around and violate that oath time and time again. It's time we held the politicians accountable to follow through with their oath to defend the Constitution. Because there's no reason for any gun laws that infringe on a law-abiding law-abiding citizen's right to have a gun. And it's just it's it's getting worse and worse because more and more states are pulling more and more rights away from citizens every day, and they just they can't seem to stop it. Now, besides stabbing people in China, you know, they don't have they don't have guns there, most of them. So, you know, that's how people would react. And in the United States, if you don't think that more people would resort to other instruments of violence if there were no guns available or less guns available, then you just don't see very clearly. Because if there were no guns available, people would find another way. Motivated people will find a way to commit the crimes they want to commit. Like I say, we've been having a war on drugs now for what, for 35, 45 years, and we still haven't won that one. And you're not going to, because as long as people are motivated to get the drugs that they want or they make a lot of money selling them, there's going to be no way to stop it. Same thing with guns. If you make them illegal, a lot of law-abiding citizens will abide by that. They will follow through because they are law-abiding citizens. But the ones who are not already are just going to think, oh, now it's so much easier because now I have all these unarmed targets that I didn't have a little while ago. Now I can just go off on my, you know, crime crime spree, killing, robbing, stealing, breaking into places, whatever they want to do because they feel empowered because they're the only ones who have the guns now. Them and the police, hopefully. In Britain, they tried that for a long time. For a long time, the British police didn't carry guns. Now, from what I understand, a lot of them do. They decided that, you know, they can't stop criminals with guns unless they have guns also. Now, not all policemen are armed, but a lot of them are when in the more recent past they have not been at all. So I don't know what that tells you about societies all over the world. Are they leaning towards more violence? And what would be the cause of that? I think in the United States it comes down to responsibility. Most parents, most children being raised by parents who are absent, they don't know because they don't have consequences for their actions. They don't get punished when they do something they're not supposed to do. The parents have this new age way of looking at things, and it just allows people to think that they're entitled to do whatever they want to do. That's like in Texas. NRA, I don't know if you realize this, but the NRA has been in Virginia for many, many years, and they are looking to move their headquarters from Virginia to Texas. And they've been looking at a few locations. Um, there's one in Richardson, Texas, and apparently it's an old State Farm group of buildings, and they're looking for, I don't know, almost 300,000 square feet of office space. And uh, apparently the State Farm has this group of buildings, and they're trying to purchase one of those to move their headquarters to Richardson, Texas, which is their perfect right. I mean, they are a lobbyist group. They have the same rights as anybody else. They are American citizens. They are law-abiding citizens. They can move wherever they want as long as it falls within the proper zoning. And for an office, if it's an office park, an office building, that should fall. But no, 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 no. Moms demand action in Texas are opposed to the NRA relocating to Texas. They don't want them 
to relocate at all. I don't know why it makes a difference to them. I mean, especially since Texas, you think would be more friendly to the NRA, to the NRA's cause. But people don't realize the NRA was founded. A lot of it, a lot of its founding principles were to help minorities be able to secure guns to defend themselves. When there were laws passed in the, in the, in the South to prevent black people from owning guns, the NRA stepped in and tried to change that because according to the Constitution, if you're an American citizen, you have the right to keep and bear arms. And in the Deep South, right after the Civil War, there's a lot of people who were still thinking that black people were second-class citizens. They didn't have the same rights as everybody else. And the NRA was trying to correct this by giving them training, offering them help in purchasing guns or knowing what the laws were, knowing what their rights were. So it's funny how a lot of minorities now tend to believe that the NRA is a completely conservative, you know, white person lobbyist group, when in fact much of their founding was to help minorities be able to exercise their rights as citizens. So now the NRA wants to move to Texas, which I think is a great idea, take their money away from Virginia or Connecticut or any other state that has has illegal gun laws, basically. That's the only way to put it. I mean, I, I, I'm not a lawyer, but I know if you infringe on the right to keep and bear arms, that's illegal. And if you're an illegal, if you're passing laws that violate the Constitution, you're passing illegal laws. And the federal law should take precedent as it's supposed to. Although we've seen lots of evidence of this not going that way. In the West, California doesn't want to endorse and force immigration laws, and they're not being forced to, and they're not cooperating with federal federal authorities who are trying to enforce it. And even the federal authorities under Joe Biden's regime, they're not going after any of these illegal aliens either. They're just letting them come into the country and having no regard for our immigration law. I'm not saying you can't come. Our doors have always been open and available. If you want to come through the front door, go through the procedure. There's millions and millions of immigrants who come into this country every year, and they are welcome by at least me, because they come in the proper channels, they do the right thing, they come in wanting to be American citizens, and that's fine. But if you're coming in the back door expecting to gain all the benefits and get and have none of the responsibility, that's not something we want. They need to keep those people from coming in. Now, I know a lot of people will say, yeah, these people just want to get a job, and that's fine. If you want to walk a 1,000 miles for a job, I welcome your work ethic. But if you want to come here and step on American soil and start applying for every grant, every bit of uh, assistance that you can get to suck the system dry and then go out and get a job working for cash and send all your cash home, yeah, we don't need that. There's got to be ways to stop this. <clears throat> but anyway, back to the NRA. They're moving to Texas, and apparently Moms Demand moms demand Action, what is it? Uh, yeah, Moms Demand Action are protesting their moving into the city, and they're trying to stop the sale of this building that they're looking at in order to stop the NRA from relocating to Texas. Now, I don't know what they, I mean, I don't know why they think that, that the NRA doesn't have the rights of every other citizen or every other group in America or any other business in America. Why should they be able to protest? And I guess anybody can protest anything if you want. This is America. You can sue it. You can sue anybody for anything also. You know, Richardson is a suburb of Dallas. Right. Dallas-Fort Worth is the area they were looking at, yes. And, you know, the, 
the size of this building and what the NRA wants to do is minuscule in the big... It doesn't matter. This is all political maneuvering. has nothing to do with what they're actually going to do. Are they really going to affect the neighborhood when they move in? Yeah, they'll probably get more tax money from going out from people who work in these buildings, going out to lunch or buying stuff in local stores. It's going to help the economy. But Moms Demand Action, it's all political and emotional. They have no logic at all in their decision to try and protest them from from moving into the, the city. You know, one thing that you have harped on many times, and I totally agree with you and would love for you to harp on it more, <laughs> is the Second Amendment. It's not, it doesn't give you the privilege of going out and doing something. It gives you the right well, it actually limits it limits the federal government from taking away those rights. Exactly, and uh, you know this is something that I think everybody should understand and appreciate how important that is. And I did hear a, uh, and I apologize, I don't know whether it was a representative or a senator talking about. The Second Amendment. Really? In a good way or a bad way? In a very good way. That's what we need more of. Yeah, exactly. And I was thinking as he was talking, uh, you know, this is, we got to, like I said, harp on it. The fact that the government, in, in our Constitution, you have the right to have and bear arms. And those, that right can't be infringed on. Right. And what you know, does that mean? It means that we have a document that we live by and that is our government. And you start messing with it and then we won't have a government. Well, if you don't enforce the laws or the, the restrictions or you don't abide by the restrictions that are in the Constitution, then what's the point of having it? I mean, the, people want to pick and choose what they want to, what they want to abide by and what they don't. They want freedom of speech, but they don't want anybody to have guns. But they're both amendments in the Constitution that guarantee your right to free speech, that guarantee your right to keep and bear arms. They're both in there. But people don't want to do that. They want to pick and choose which laws they want to abide by and which laws they don't. And unfortunately, that's the, and it's coming down to that now. You see that right now. Like I was talking about California, the immigration laws. California doesn't want to enforce them, and they're not. And they're not helping federal law enforcement officers enforce them. They're, in fact, obstructing federal law enforcement officers from keeping people out who are not supposed to be here. You know who Walter is, right? Walter? No. Who's Walter? The uh, puppet? Oh, Jeff Dunham's puppet. Walter, yes. yes. I'm familiar with Jeff, Jeff Dunham's Walter. <laughs> As Walter said the other day, we've proven that Paper masks are no good. And <laughs> yeah. Don't stop anything. And he's saying, you know, he said, and our Constitution at this point is made out of the same paper. And if we're not careful, it'll be as good as a mask. Yeah, they won't stop. It'd be like a chain link fence against mosquitoes. 
Won't stop anything. And like I say, not they have the immigration in California. The drug enforcement agencies are not enforcing the federal law that bans people from using marijuana. Now, granted, if they want to change that, then change it. Congress needs to come up with a law, pass it in effect, take marijuana off the the controlled substance list, or declassify it as a you know as a whatever they call that a um, uh, I can't remember the name, but take take it off the list as a as a restricted drug and let people use it if they want to. That's fine, but currently it is still illegal, and they need to change that because more and more states every day are coming in and. You know, they're violating the Constitution. They're going against federal law, doing what they want to do in their state. And it's funny because when it comes to the drug enforcement agencies, they don't care. They're letting it go. You can go to dispensaries in New York and California, Oregon, Colorado, Washington State, I think Connecticut. There's probably, I would guess there's probably, I think Florida's another one. There's probably over 20 states that have decriminalized the use of THC as a drug. And that's fine. I mean, I understand what they're trying to do, but you know what? It's still federal law. And they need to petition their senators and Congress people to come up with a law that will decriminalize it nationwide. There's no reason why from state to state to state you're going to have such different laws that would get you in. You drive from one state to another, and all of a sudden you're a felon. While in the other state, you're still a felon, but they're not going to enforce it. It's just, that's the same it's, way with carrying a weapon, you know? Right. You should be able to drive from one state to the next state and not have to worry about whether, yeah. whether their laws are different or illegal versus the constitutional right to carry. Or, well, if they're not a constitutional right to carry, but are a constitutional right to have a firearm. There are some states you can't even drive through their state with a gun that they don't find, that they don't put on their approved list. Which is ridiculous. I mean, California is slowly but surely eliminating people from owning handguns. One every year, there are less and less handguns that qualify to be bought in California new. And it's just you know, and there's no reason for what they're doing other than they want complete and utter gun control, except for politicians, for the police forces, for things like that. They want to keep everybody they know safe. With arms, with people armed, but they don't want the common citizen to be able to defend themselves. And that, and, and it seems like the judges now are starting to see that a lot of these very restrictive gun control laws in some of these states are being called into question. And they're being, uh, getting a second look at them. Like I said, there was the one week in California where a judge ruled against the magazine ban saying it was restrictive because the magazines were not the standard magazines that these weapons were designed for. So in in order for them to try and push restricted magazines, that was a form of gun control that should not have been legal. That was uh, Roger Benitez was the judge that did that. And for one week, anybody in California could order any size magazine they wanted. (laughs) And apparently almost one and a half million magazines were shipped to California during that one week. Now, they did say if any orders were placed during that one-week period, even if they were received later, they were still legal to be had. So, But then they appealed it and appealed it, and they got it pushed back. So now they're still at a standstill, I believe, with that. Unless it gets pushed up again by somebody, it's going to stay where it is for now, and they have the magazine restriction. Now, as far as their roster goes... That's completely ridiculous. They want you to have some crazy technology on the gun that isn't even available yet. 
that I think would probably cause more crime than solve crimes. But, you know, it's it's crazy because these states just do whatever they want. They run ramshot over all the constitutional amendments or federal law, and they just don't care. But yet, if someone, there was a, uh, I was in Kansas. In Kansas, they passed a law saying that none of the suppressor rules applied in their state. So if you built a suppressor or bought it from somebody in the state, as long as it stayed in Kansas, it was not a violation of federal, it wasn't a violation of their law. Their law said you could have it. But then the federal government came in and they arrested a couple guys who posted a video somewhere and they dragged them through the court system and they're saying, hey, our state said it was okay. That state says marijuana is okay. This state says suppressors are okay. And it, it, it turned into a lengthy battle, and I think they ended up paying like a $300 fine and got recused of all the charges after that, which if you look at the big picture, if you violate federal law with a suppressor or anything that's Class three regulated, usually it's 10 years in prison and up to a $100,000 fine. And they let this guy go with a $300 fine and no prison time, nothing on his record. So apparently... The fact that Kansas passed this law to protect its citizens against the overreach of federal government had some pull. And I guess they didn't want it to go too far to where it got pushed to the Supreme Court. Then they would challenge all kinds of federal laws and would tie things up for a long time. I almost wish they had pushed it a little further. But, you know, then they probably just would have said suspended the fine and sent them on their way and tried not to give them anything to to fall back on to try and pursue this any further. But the fact that they weren't prosecuted for it beyond just a minor fine, I mean, there's probably traffic tickets that are more than $300. But that's all they got and no and no long-term effects from being prosecuted for this, meaning usually if you're prosecuted for a gun crime, a federal gun crime, you cannot own a weapon for a period of 10 years, any weapon. Other than well, other than you know, a couple of couple of fists left and right, you know, thunder and lightning or a shovel, something like that. But no firearms can be owned by you if you're caught and convicted of violating federal law. But these guys did not have that happen to them, which is good. It just shows that there was some ambiguity in the, I guess, the constitutionality or the jurisdiction of who had control over the state of Kansas passing laws to de-restrict things based on Second Amendment rights. So I love the fact that that happened. It's unfortunate it went the way it did. And there's other laws being being tested now, I guess you could say. People are coming up with these magazine restrictions are being tested in various places. Um, in New York, they were testing the, the May issue process that they had for issuing carry permits saying that it's too restrictive, it violates the Second Amendment, and you can't do this. And it's still it's still in, in an embroiled discussion and uh, fight, I guess, because the mayor says, well, we're going to designate certain areas as non-gun areas. And they end up making these non-gun areas so large they cover half the city. So you can't carry a gun from one block to the next. And that case is still forthcoming. It still has to go before, uh, I think, another circuit court, a full panel of the circuit court judges to decide whether or not that's still legal or not. I haven't looked at it in a while. I don't know if they've got past that yet or not or where that case is. But the fact that they challenged it and a judge realized, yeah, this is wrong. You can't have a May issue. You have somebody have a reason or have a connection somehow. It was corrupt the way the system was. If you knew somebody... Or you were a politician, you got your permit pushed through right away. But any ordinary citizen without some sort of connection or some sort of, you know, way to 
get it past the politicians or friend of a politician, you couldn't get it. So it was very corrupt the way that system was working. Hopefully they will straighten that out and New New York could possibly be a shall issue state. Assuming you follow through your all your qualifications are there, you pass the background check, you should be able to get a carry permit in New York City. Not yet, but hopefully it's coming that way. That's after they figure out how you can buy a weapon there. Right. Well, that's another thing. Buying a handgun there is extremely restrictive. It's a $200 application fee just to be able to purchase a handgun. Not carry it, just purchase it. Now, could I just, I keep relating this to vote. What if you had a $200 fee you had to pay to get a background check before you were allowed to vote? How many people would stand still for that? And you know what? Go ahead and say, I have the right to vote. You do not. It is not in the Constitution. You can read the Constitution from head to tail. There is no constitutional right to vote. You don't have the right to vote. The only thing it says is that if there is an election in a state or county or federal building, you may not be discriminated against to keep you from voting based on certain factors. Gender, race, sexual preference, whatever. Those things cannot keep you from voting. But it does not give you the right to vote. All right, we're going to be right back after a few messages from our sponsors. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio. Or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back. Um, this is Roger B. on America's Web Radio coming to you with Locked and Loaded. Now, right before we left for the break, we were talking about, well, we are talking about all kinds of things, but I tried to cover the story about the NRA moving to Texas. And it's funny because the Moms Demand Action are calling for a protest to oppose the NRA relocating its headquarters. They have a meeting that's going to start at 6 p.m., and they're, they're asking you to wear orange or red Mom Demand Action shirt to sign up to give public comment. Now, how can they just decide who can... They're, they're basically discriminating against somebody based on the fact they want to exercise their constitutional rights. What, are, what do they think that the NRA is going to do in an office building? doesn't matter. It's all a political stunt. That's all it is. They want to stop anybody who has anything to do with guns from being in the United States at all. They want to eliminate the Second Amendment from the Constitution. They picked the wrong state. 
to be in. I hope so. I mean, I know, I know Texas has been becoming more liberal lately, mostly because the governor's inviting all these people from other states to come to Texas. He's inviting people from California and New York, come down to Texas, we'll take care of you. And all these people are still voting the same stupid way they were. And they have liberal ideas. Like you go to Austin, I think, is one of the most liberal cities in the country, and it's in Texas. Yeah, I see you shaking your head over there, Dave. <laughs> you know, before I left Texas and farmed, you know, there was always a rifle or shotgun in my pickup window, back window. As there should be in every law-abiding citizen's truck window. And, you know, I had a... Uh, what, Woodman 22 semi-automatic. Oh, yeah, okay. That was in my pickup door. <laughs> and then there were many times that I carried, and we didn't have permits or anything else. It was just... Right. I mean, well... It, nobody... It wasn't enforced that much then, or there was no requirements for a lot of that. In fact, I think Texas for a long time had no concealed carry allowed. You had to carry open if you were going to carry a weapon. Yeah. Now, a lot of that dates back to the mid-1800s during the Wild West days, quote-unquote. Because, you know, I mean, it's funny because you see movies and stuff where they actually tried gun control back in the in the western states where you weren't allowed to carry a gun into town. (laughs) And it made a difference. But, yeah, I mean, people should, I mean, law-abiding citizens should be allowed to exercise their right. In fact, I had that brought up. I was going to read the entire thing word for word. The Second Amendment. A well-regulated militia, comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, if you look at all ten of the amendments, that is the shortest one it is very succinct. It is very to the point. It makes its point very clearly, and there should be no way to argue against it or to misinterpret it, as we say. But unfortunately, every day, states, state governments, county governments, city governments, all try and infringe on your Second Amendment rights. So, but yeah, and these people are calling, they're calling for a protest to have public speakers come and make speeches to the commissioner's office against the NRA relocating here to, to Richardson, Texas. Now, they're saying, they're, they were asked, this happened actually yesterday, I think it was Monday, but they were asking, the the NRA was asking any citizens or NRA members who wanted to come and make a showing, they asked them to come and testify in front of the city council. So, or submitting an online comment to their to their site. You know, in in favor of letting the NRA move wherever they wanted to. You know, so I hope I'd love to. I need to get a follow up on this. I didn't see anything today anywhere, but I wonder how many people showed up for each group and if they made any kind of difference. If they were allowed into the building or the commissioner's office, I hope the NRA members outnumbered Mom's Demand Action twenty to one. That would be the best best case scenario. If they outnumbered them and they spoke up in favor of the NRA and their right to move. It's just, I mean, these people just don't like the business they're in. And, you know, and it's funny because people say, oh, that's a bunch of liberal, blah, blah, blah. Well, let me tell you something. Conservatives do the same thing when it comes to them. They don't want strip clubs or casinos or things in some of their neighborhoods because they think it's morally wrong. Well, these people think it's morally wrong, too. And you know what? Both sides are incorrect 
to try and restrict somebody based on your own moral ideals. Now, you can have whatever moral ideals you want, and I'm down with that. You know, that's fine. If you don't want to go to a strip club, then don't go. If you don't want to own a gun, then don't own one. You have that choice. That's what freedom is. Freedom is about choices. And you should be able to have the choice to make whatever choice you want when it comes to personal moral issues. You know, now granted, if it has to do with children who are under 18, that's a whole nother story. They need to be protected because they are minors. Because someone's going to come at me and say, oh, what about drag shows for kids? Yeah, no. Parents should stand up against that. Or if they want to take them specifically on their own volition, it should not be something that their kid could possibly be exposed to in school. You know, I'm sorry. But anyway, you know, hopefully the NRA will get to build their or rent their building wherever they want. Nobody will stand in their way. And who knows? They'll have, I think they'll have up to 300,000 square feet of office space, have a new office building in a hopefully more gun-friendly state than Virginia ever was to them. Now, granted, I guess they were in Virginia because it's close to D.C., and that's where a lot of the lobbyists were working. But nowadays, with everything being done online, they can probably get just as much done in Texas. And I hope they have that. And I hope everyone who's with the NRA in Richardson, Texas, went to that commissioner's meeting and stood up and made a comment saying they should not be restricted in any way where they want to go. All right. Well, we'll, I'll, I'll try and find out more about that. We'll track it. Till next week, I'll see if I can find out uh, what happened or what the results of that was, if they got any actual resistance that was of any consequence or not. Hopefully not. Hopefully they had more people pro them being there than anti them being there. But these mom demand action groups, they're just so anti Bill of Rights. It's like, you know, if you don't want to be in this country, then don't be here or try and change the law by legit purposes. Don't fight against the Constitution that's here and has been here for over 200 years that's in the country, and you want to pick and choose which rights you want to allow people to have, it doesn't work that way, at least for now. Until you call a constitutional, a constitutional convention, it doesn't work that way. All the bills, all the amendments are enforceable by federal law. All right, that's enough of the legal stuff for today. I want to get back into the real gun stuff for you people who really want to work on your guns or change them. And uh, I was asked by Legend Dave to actually do a disassembly or field stripping of weapons, and I think next week we're going to start on that. I'll start, I think, with one particular weapon. We'll go through and do a basic field stripping, identify parts, show how things are assembled, disassembled, identify all the parts, show how they're put back together, do a basic rundown like that of one particular weapon next week. You think it'll be a... Um Pistol or AR fifteen. AR fifteen. The most popular rifle in America. I think that would probably be the way to start. And probably now, I'm going out way out of the line on this. But probably one of, if not the most trained on weapon in the United States because it is the first cousin of the M60. Exactly, yes. In fact, a lot of parts are interchangeable. The difference between an M16 and an AR-15 are tiny. <laughs> They're tiny. Yeah, Itty-bitty. And the one, that, one has a switch that goes from semi to full yeah. automatic. Well, the same switch is there, but it's just that the little notches cut on that switch are different on the one versus the other. 
and like I say, the parts are very easily interchangeable. But that's, you know, but that's neither here nor there. But just, it is the most popular rifle. And you're right, it's probably one of the most trained on because the military uses it almost exclusively. And most police forces that have rifles have AR-15s. I'll say that. Unless they're a sniper group with a bolt-action precision rifle, something like that, most police forces in the United States would pick an AR-15 or M-16 to be their go-to rifle. So, yeah, it's probably the most trained on, most common. It's also the most popular in American citizens' hands. The most popular rifle in the United States is an AR-15 or a clone thereof. An AR-15 is actually a very specific name for a weapon built by Eugene Stoner. And I believe the company that actually had the rights to that was Armalite had the rights to it, but I think the patent has since expired so everybody can make them. But AR-15 was the Armalite designation for that rifle. And now it's just become commonplace. Like when you say a Kleenex, doesn't necessarily mean a Kleenex brand. It means a tissue. Same thing with AR-15. You say AR-15, it means a particular style of rifle. And that one, I think, being the most popular in the United States would be the first one to look at. And it's fairly simple to display that, too, and easy to work on. So hopefully next week I'm going to arrange to do that. a lot of it, too, is that uh, the AR-15 is lightweight. Yes. And probably has as good, if not better, knockdown power than many other rifles. And yeah, well, I mean, the one before it was the M14. Right. And it fired a 308 cartridge, which has tremendously more power, but it's a much heavier bullet. Oh, yeah, and it's a much heavier weapon. Right, and that's what they were trying to do, have soldiers carry more ammo with the same gun and not over exceed a certain weight limit. And, uh, you know, you... And as we were coming into or going into Vietnam... You know, you're carrying a M14, and that's an extra load. And right, plus the ammo. Every the ammo. every round of ammo is twice as much as an Air 15 round. So, you know, the, the military was looking for an alternative, and they came up with it. Right. Uh, you know, it's like the M1 carbine. Right, during World War II, yeah. I love that weapon, but uh, here again, it really didn't have the knockdown ability. Right. The cartridge that was designed for it was not exactly designed for enough power to do its job. Yeah. Now, had they bumped the caliber up a little bit more and made it a little more effective, it might have been a better weapon. Even if it was a short bullet, they would have been better off building a carbine version of the forty-five. I think. Yeah. That would have provided, you know, longer barrel and with different ammo could have provided a 45 much higher velocity and much better knockdown power than a 30 caliber carbine. Because there are limits when it goes to warfare. But I don't know what the statistics are on it. And I, I don't know if you can find them or not. But, uh, I, I personally, again, love the 45, but. It is a great weapon, uh, yes. Even as. Popular as it was in World War Two, and really before the nine millimeter was introduced, other than by the Nazis, the Germans, yes. But uh, the forty-five, I heard one time, had very few kills in World War Two. Oh, the forty-five? Yeah. Well, because. 
a Marine once told me, he goes, you use your pistol to fight your way to your rifle. <laughs> your rifle is your primary weapon. Your sidearm is your secondary weapon. So if you have to pull out your pistol, <laughs> things are going bad. <laughs> you know? that's your rifle's out of your hands. It's out of ammo. Something's done that needs to be fixed. And that's, that's when you go to your pistol. Yeah, I'm trying to see. Uh, let's see. It was, um, the 30 caliber carbine was brought out in 1942. Is when they brought it. I was brought out specifically for World War II as a, a more of an officer's rifle, if you will. Cause you know, I, the M14 was a big heavy gun and the M1 Garand, same thing. The M1 Garand was more prevalent in World War II. In fact, I don't think the M14 came out. Now the M14 was just an improvement on the M1 Garand and the fact that it had a box loading magazine and a few other improvements, but it's the same basic action as an M1 Garand. And the M1 Garand was a heavy gun, had those big clips you loaded, I think, eight rounds into and shoved them in from the top. So they were semi-automatic, but they did not have a box magazine. So they were heavy. And the officers, you know, didn't want to get calluses on their hands from carrying big heavy guns. So they had the M1 carbine for most of them. And some of the special forces units were using them also just because of the lightweight, the concealability. They had paratrooper models with folding wire stocks on them so they could by carried by people in the Air Force or who were in tanks, things like that, where they needed a smaller weapon just to be able to maneuver. Well, a 14 was, and I know you're going to correct me on this, but was almost a sniper weapon as well. Oh, yeah, there is a version. I I think it was called an M21. An M21 is a designation for an M14 sniper weapon. It had scope mounts and stuff on it and a better barrel, things like that. And the M21 was the sniper rifle for the United States for a long time. Now, they've since changed that to, I believe, it's probably still the M110, which is an Armalite version of the 308, which is the same cartridge an M14 uses, but in an AR configuration that's a little larger frame than the M16. You know, it would be interesting to see what the difference, you know, the M14's all wood. All the stock is wood, yes. And... And the, uh, you know, it's all, and that makes it heavy. It'd be interesting to take the new technology, uh, build a modernized M14. Yeah. Yep. There, there, there are, you, you can buy those now. They'll have like, yeah, uh, polymer socks and things like that. They're still heavy because the action is very big and kind of bulky. It is, it is very functional though. And another issue they had with a lot of M14s is it's very difficult to mount a scope on it. Because it had no attachments on the top because it ejected straight out of the top. If you notice, the M16 has a port on the side it ejects out of. And with a flat top on it, you can mount optics and scopes and, you know, night vision and stuff like that on top of the M16. And it will still function. With the M14, they had a kind of a bulky side mount. They had a screw. They thread. A, they have a threaded holes in the side of the receiver to have the scope mount come up over it to be able to eject the shells out underneath the scope mount. Was a little more awkward. And it, as I recall, it was never really meant to be a rapid firing weapon. Not really. I mean, it would fire full auto, but it didn't have a very high cyclic rate. I'm pretty sure it's pretty slow. But you know, it was a big cartridge too. The 308 can't be fired that quickly by most people. You know, <laughs> sure Rambo can do it, but you know, <laughs> most people can't fire an M14 well, that quickly. We 
Yeah. I mean, you know, now the M60 fires a little faster. The same, same bullet in the M60 as the M14. The 308 or the 7.62 by 5.1 NATO cartridge is the military version of the Winchester 308. But it's a 30 caliber versus a 22 caliber in the M16 cartridge. So it has a lot more, much, I think the bullet weight was about 150 grains versus 55 grains for the M16 bullet. So it was almost three times the weight of an M16 bullet. People listening to you, not to me, but <laughs> listening to you would think, eh, how much difference can that make? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Try and carry one for a while. Yeah. I mean, you know, imagine your ammo weighs three times what the other ammo does and you have to carry it all day, <laughs> all day, every day. It makes a lot of difference. That's why they went to the, to the M16 because of the, mostly because of the weight of the weapon and the weight of the ammo. So a soldier could carry a lot more ammo in a 556 than they could in a 762. And, and that made a huge difference. And, in a firefight, one of the things that we've discussed many times, not on this show, but on other veteran shows, is that, you know, the, the military is take care of your buddy. and uh, No man left behind. Yeah, well, take care of your buddy. And in a firefight, you run out of ammunition and you look to your buddy and... He'll throw you a magazine. Right, right, exactly. And that's another reason why the air, the M16 is so popular is because throughout the country, if all the police forces are using it, all the federal, a lot of federal police agencies are using it, they can change magazines, they can change a, a, the ammunition and support things like that. I remember there's a friend of mine, he had worked in a pawn shop and they were getting robbed at one point. And one of the guys had run dry in his pistol, and he went, went to his buddy for a magazine. His buddy carried a totally different kind of pistol, <laughs> so he had no ammunition to give him. And it's, I mean, they both survived it okay. The guys were running out, firing over their shoulders, you know, as they left. But they got out of there, and then they realized, you know what? Maybe we should all carry the same gun just in case something like that ever happens again. You want that compatibility, that reciprocity between weapons. And that's when the... Uh Nine millimeter Glock became the sidearm of popularity. Yeah, um, it's funny because a buddy of mine he was overseas during uh, one of the the desert altercations we were having, and he said a lot of the guys would bring their own guns with them. They'd bring a pistol with them. The thing is, they were allowed to bring it over there, but they could not bring it back. Could not bring any firearms back with them, but they were allowed to bring one with them. So the most popular gun was the Glock 19. Popular size, good capacity, 9mm was the same as the M9 at the time. Now I think they're up to the SIG, oh god, I can't remember what it's called, what the military designation is for the, the SIG 320, that's now the current weapon. But um, the M9 was the Beretta-based version of the 9mm pistol, and it used the same 9mm as the Glocks used. And what the guys would do is they would t- buy the gun or take a gun, bring it over with them, and before they left to go home, they would sell it to s- some of the newcoming guys who didn't bring a sidearm with them. Because sidearms are usually not issued to anybody except officers or special operations people in the military. Usually the standard soldier does not get a sidearm unless he finds one somewhere or brings his own. So 
But it was popular to see guys, you know, selling off their Glock 19 to the next group of guys coming in. And they would buy that, and then when before they left, they'd sell it up to the next group. And Because uh, I understand you could bring it with you, but there was a lot of paperwork involved in trying to bring it back with you. But they would just bring a few over, and they would hand them on down the line as they got uh, pushed back to the States and the new deployed came in, they would come and buy their weapons from them. And that's how they kept the, the Glocks in service. And because, you know, I mean, the Glock, again, lost out on the military contract, which to me just seems amazing. But it is an unusual weapon in that it doesn't have a manual safety lever. It doesn't have a safety you can click on and off. And I think that was one thing they still require in the military contracts. They want to have a manual safety, which I understand because people who are not well-versed in guns, which a lot of military personnel are not when they get in there, they don't all have gun knowledge when they get there. A lot of gun knowledge comes from the military. So having a safety on a pistol, in fact, I will recommend that to somebody who's a first-time pistol owner to get something with a manual safety because it gives you that one extra layer of protection. Now, a Glock has a very safe action to it, but if anything gets in that trigger guard and pushes that trigger, it's going off. There's no stopping that. Accidental firings from Glocks happen a lot more than they should because the weapon is designed to be safe to an extent, but it can't prevent human error. While a manual safety can prevent human error sometimes from causing an accidental discharge. But unfortunately, Glocks are not the military chosen weapon now they're not the issued weapon but apparently a lot of the guys who are running their own guns and a lot of special ops units and things like that will carry the glocks because that's what they want they want compatibility because a lot of the bad guys carry glocks too so if you're carrying a glock you knock somebody you know take somebody down they're going to have ammo and magazines with them you know hopefully give you a little extra possibilities there because it's a very universal weapon glock i forget how many but i think it's over 50 countries throughout the world use a Glock as their standard issue sidearm. And everyone kind of thought the Glock was going to get the contract this time, but the SIG came and got it from them. So it didn't go that way. And it's funny because, you know, it's people just assume the Glock is one of the ones. Now, Glocks, I think, are used by more police forces than anybody in the country right now. That so. would not surprise me. Well, because they're reliable, they're durable, they're not super expensive. Magazines are inexpensive. I mean, as a civilian, you can buy brand new Glock magazines for about 20 bucks. While a SIG magazine of that same style is probably going to cost you about 50. So you can buy two and a half Glock magazines for every one SIG magazine. You know, and here again, this is something that a lot of folks don't understand and don't appreciate is the amount of money a police officer has to spend out of his own pocket, you know, to carry a weapon, even to dress. They have to buy their own, in many cases, their own uniforms. And, uh, you know, they they have a lot of expenses that... uh, I guess that I personally think that the public should pay for. I guess that depends on the police department. I imagine all the big city departments issue everything they need, while a lot of the smaller communities don't have the kind of money they need to do that. Well, a lot of a lot of communities get around it in that they will furnish the ammunition, right, for practice and stuff like that. You have to provide your own, and obviously, if you're going to get the ammunition. 
you're going to want to have something that fires that ammunition they're providing you. Now, now, granted, that's true. However, all those expenses are tax deductible as well. If you're a police officer and you have to buy any of your own equipment, or even if it's optional equipment, anything you buy for your job is tax deductible. So the federal government's kind of looking after the police officers in that respect. But they're not making that much money to begin with. I know. So the tax deduction doesn't is not as big of a, a thing as they would like. But it's funny because most departments that are of any kind of decent size want all the officers to carry the same weapons, same magazines. Like I said, for compatibility in the event that they do need to draw their weapon or get into an extended conflict, they need to be able to swap magazines around and have the same ammo, all that kind of stuff. So that's something that a lot of the police departments do for that reason alone. Just like the military, everybody's got the same weapons, same magazines, same ammunition. So there's not a lot of differences there and they keep it that way on purpose to keep the compatibility the same across all the different units like uh, a marine carrying an m16 and an army guy carrying an m16 they're going to be able to interchange magazines and most of the parts will interchange between those weapons if they had to make a spot repair not everything because i think the army uses a 14 and a half inch barrel and i think the marines are using a 16 inch barrel but you know other than minor differences like that that would make a difference in a combat situation, most of the other parts and ammo and magazines will interchange across all the armed services. Now, there are a few specialty units, of course, that get different weapons, but that's usually very uh, tailored to mission parameters. So if you have a certain mission that requires very specific requirements, you will get specialized weaponry to go along with that. But in the general forces, everything's compatible, interchangeable, and all that stuff makes for a smoother training because everybody learns the weapons across all the same, you know, fields of of practice. You know, so a guy who knows how to use an M16 in the the Marines would know how to use one in the Army as well because it's similar enough to where it's easily all the controls are in the same places, magazines are compatible. It may just be a slightly different size or have slightly different handling characteristics with a shorter barrel or different stock, but all the major controls are in the same places. And I don't know, I don't think they let you customize one because usually if you're in the enlisted ranks, you don't get a weapon issued to you unless you're going off to be deployed, right. from what I understand. They, they you don't stay in the armory. Right. You don't keep one weapon every time you go to well, you go anywhere unless you're deployed. You do, but you don't. Uh, oh, so they issue you the same weapon every time you go in for one. You get the yeah. same one. Okay. And the armory, and uh, and the uh, armor will issue your weapon, literally hand it to you. They know it by number or whatever yeah. by who you are. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. That's and, neat. Uh, and you do because. There's a reason for that, like there's a reason for most things in the military. If you qualify with a weapon, you know it's ups and downs and sideways. Right. You know how the sights are shooting and how you've adjusted them and all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. And Kentucky, when did you need? Right. That being said, though, guess what time it is? It's time to wait till next week to talk about more. (laughs) On America's Web Radio and Locked and Loaded. Thanks for listening, folks. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.